Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fits on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Thank you for joining me this week. Let me start the show first by congratulating the winner of last week's contest for a coveted spot in the annual Scott Fishball. It's Dan Rich of Western Massachusetts. Congratulations, Dan. You are going to be part of SFBX, the 10th annual installment of the biggest, most prestigious fantasy football league in all the land. Really happy for Dan. Seems like a really good dude, and I know he's going to enjoy the experience. And thanks to everyone who entered last week's contest. Dozens of you submitted ratings and reviews of this pod for a chance to win. Sorry if you entered and didn't win, but we will have another contest next year. And there are a lot of other podcasts holding contests to win SFB births. So maybe there's still another way for you to yet find your way into the Scott Fishball. And with me here now, waiting patiently for his chance to spew fantasy football wisdom is none other than Derek Brown, a return guest, a well-traveled fantasy writer and podcaster. He was a major contributor to the Quant Edge and the now defunct Quant Edge. He's among the contributors to the Fantasy Black Book, which is Joe Pisapia's annual fantasy guide, always a uh, excellent publication. And he is making the rounds on a lot of podcasts lately He's one of the very nicest guys in the fantasy football media, a true goodwill ambassador for the game. Find him on Twitter at dbro underscore FFB, Mr. Derek Brown. Welcome back to the show, buddy. What's up, Pat? Man, I don't know if I deserve so much of that intro, but thank you, man. This is a, it's a blast. We had a lot of fun last time we turned the mics on, and I'm absolutely excited to be back here. Uh, football is heating up, man. I'm ready for it, too. I know, man, we got to get football going because uh, it has been a very barren sports spring, very barren sports summer with MLB just uh, unable to get their act together. So we talked about that a little bit backstage. That's pretty gross. So, yeah, man, hopefully we're on course to get the football season underway as scheduled. Um, But meanwhile, tell me, what has the quarantine life been like for you, Debra? I know you've got a house full of kids. Uh, I'm sure it can't always be easy to deal with that sort of rambunctious energy when you can't take them to many places other than parks. Uh, how have you been holding up for the last three months? Oh, gosh. Um, it's been a series of whew, the best and worst pages of Lord of the Flies. Like, I feel like some days my kids try to um, take over and rule the roost. Um, it has been uh, interesting, put it that way. Um before we turn the mics on, I mean, a lot of uh, interesting things, both in the world and with quarantine life that have been, um, it's been a very, very interesting time to be a parent in the world right now. Um, a lot of deep conversations, a lot of trying to figure out what the heck the day brings because you can't go anywhere. So what are we going to do? Well, we're not going to go on a walk because we've done that 15 times this week. 
Um, all right, we're going to turn the driveway into a water park. How am I going to accomplish this? So um, it's it's been very, very interesting. Now, uh, I'll put it this way. Adventures in parenting, Pat. We'll call it that. <laughs> yes, man. I always like, uh, I don't say like, but uh, always interesting to get these answers from the parents of younger kids. And yours are, uh, you mentioned it to me. Before 10, 8, and 2. So that's quite a range. Uh, you know, mine are 14 and 13. I can just give them uh, their phones and they're fine all day. They can shut me out and, uh, you know, hand them the electronics, give my son his PlayStation and his uh, NBA Live, and he doesn't have to talk to my wife or I for the entire day. But you have got to be a little bit more proactive keeping them entertained. So I can certainly see how that's challenging. Um, well, obviously, Debro. Uh, Everyone hoping that COVID does not mess with the season. So with the looming threat the virus poses to the sanctity of a 16-game regular season schedule, it seems sort of odd to talk about players potentially missing time due to holdouts. But we do have a couple of guys who profile as first-round fantasy picks who are threatening to hold out if their contracts aren't redone. One is Dalvin Cook. And let's talk about something you tweeted recently, Derek. Um, Are we underrating the Minnesota passing game, considering the possibility of a Dalvin Cook holdout, and are we maybe underrating it even if the, we don't factor in a potential Cook holdout? I think so. I think that either way you slice it, whether Cook plays or he doesn't play, I still think that the Vikings are being slept on in a lot of different ways. I mean, Adam Thielen's getting some love um, in fantasy and in Twitter uh, right now, but the other parts of this passing game are not. Irv Smith is a guy that I've just been hammering in Dynasty and Redraft, best ball formats. I think his upside is immense just looking at what they want to do with the tight end position. Targets are going to go somewhere, man. And whether it's Irv Smith, Kyle Rudolph is not a guy that I'm willing to push the button for because we've seen the ceiling and it's not really there. Uh, So it's really Irv Smith. Justin Jefferson could easily without even blinking an eye, walk into 110 plus targets this year, much less if, if the injury bug does bite again this year for Adam Thielen, there are going to be weeks or could be weeks where Jefferson could be the alpha in this offense. And it's crazy to say that because I know he's a rookie. I know we're in uncertain times and training camps and things of that nature, but considering what he did in college and how that translates to the pros, I mean, he's a guy that, that you could toss him in the slot. He he could easily be the focal point of a passing offense. And so whether we're talking about Cook, the weapons, what have you, this defense is not the same either. They gutted their entire starting roster as far as cornerbacks goes. I mean, Rhodes is out, Alexander, Waynes, they're all gone, and they're leaning on rookies in uncertain times for training camps to be the guys that are going to shut down an opposing team's offense. So, I mean, pick a narrative. Pick any narrative you want, whether it's Cook, whether it's the defense not living up to previous years. The Vikings could be an offense that we are absolutely sleeping on. And the narrative, I'm not saying that they're not going to run the ball, because they're going to run the ball. But are they going to pass the ball more than we're giving them credit, considering even last year, like I'm talking about, the defense is bad? They were top 10 in the NFL as far as passing rate when they were down by nine or more points. Yeah, I'm buying a lot of Vikings uh, weapons uh, in their passing game. And a lot of them, you don't have to spend a lot to do it. It, uh, They're they're 
falling to the middle or later rounds of drafts. So yeah, I'm pressing the button a whole lot in best ball right now, Pat. Yeah, I like the uh, the point you make about the defense going to seed a little bit. Like this is not going to be. Maybe they're not going to be able to play the ultra conservative brand of football that Mike Zimmer would want them to play, especially uh, with what they've lost at the cornerback position. I I know you've mentioned how they've just been stripped bare there and are going to be giving a lot of time right away, I'm sure, to Jeff Gladney, to Dantzler, uh, you know, rookie defensive backs. You're in a, a division with Matthew Stafford and Aaron Rodgers two guys who have been known to pick on rookies from time to time. So, yeah, um, and the fact that the the usage tree is pretty skinny here as far as the targets. Uh, as you mentioned, it's, you know, Thielen, a lot of room for Jefferson to make a rookie impact. Uh, you know, maybe if there's an injury, even B.C. Johnson becomes fantasy relevant. And Irv Smith, I agree. I mean, it, it's probably past uh, time for – Kyle Rudolph to be capable of putting up a tight end one year. So there's upside for all these guys. That's a good point. Now, how are you approaching Cook and uh, Alexander Madison in best ball drafts? Oh, um, honestly, I'm, I'm probably shying away from both of them right now. Um, we really haven't seen Cook's ADP dip a whole lot. He's still going in the first round in a lot of drafts. Now, if he slips to the second well will i press the draft button yes um i don't really think that we're at the the bottom of his adp curve uh, or what we could see so in a lot of different ways i'm gonna wait and if he does like if i if if i'm in a draft and he does happen to fall to the second round sure i'll take him um i'm not i'm more inclined to go other ways in the first right now, because I do think that his ADP will dip some more. And as far as Madison, I mean, he's a guy that is, it's been rocket fuel, Pat, like since the news with cook, like he's gone up 25 ish picks in best ball drafts. And at the moment I feel like it's, it's just chasing. I, I think there are other handcuff S worthy players that are going to go around or after him. And, considering where he's at. I mean, you're really banking on either an injury to Cook or him missing time for that to pay off. And could his ceiling be higher than that? Sure. It's just not a bet that I'm willing to make at the moment. I feel like if you wanted your Madison exposure, then either one of two things needs to happen. You either should have gotten it before the Cook news broke, or you need to wait until Cook signs and then you go back to the well with Madison. But right now, it's just not a direction that I'm willing to go. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think before the the threat of a Cook holdout, I had sort of Madison was in a basket with Pollard. Uh, I was having a hard time choosing between those guys in like the middle rounds of best ball drafts. And, and now, obviously, Madison jumps ahead of Pollard. But some people are jumping Madison up to like the sixth round of, of best balls. And I just, yeah, you can't justify taking him over a, a quality wide receiver or something like that. So uh, I'm with you there. I guess the other potential holdout we should talk about is Joe Mixon, who is also insisting on a new deal. Are you steering away from Mixon in best balls because of that holdout potential, or does it not concern you that much as of now? I'm steering away from him because he's going at the tail end of the first round, and there's other running backs at that spot that I like more than him that don't pose that risk. So, like, if I'm at the 9 or 10 spot, which his ADP is going at at the ninth pick on uh, on average, I'm more likely to take Miles Sanders or Kenyon Drake if they're there. 
It's just I, I'm more willing to go that direction. I think that one, the holdout, like we're talking about, but two, I just I think Mixon his it's really close to what I think his ceiling is probably this year. Like he's going around that like RB six seven ish range. I'm not saying that I couldn't see a range of outcomes where maybe he gets into the like the top five possibly. But do I see him possibly hitting like RB1, RB2 upside? Not not really. And and I can see, like, I can squint my eyes like Jameis Winston for a second, and I can see a range of outcomes where Sanders or Kenyon Drake, guys that I'm really high on, have a higher ceiling than somebody like Joe Mixon right now. So I'm just going other directions. I get the higher ceiling. I mean... Uh- Although I will say, like the the ceiling we saw from Mixon at the tail end of last year was pretty spectacular, mm-hmm. and if, if the overall caliber of that offense is better now with Burrow as the the quarterback, uh, getting Jonah Williams back from the injury last year, and having you know the improvement in the offensive line, like I, I think there's definitely top five potential there if he gets the contract situation squared away. But I agree that we do have to take that into account. And I agree that I would be drafting Sanders and probably Drake ahead of him just to uh, take your temperature on this and and, uh, turn the screws on you a little bit deeper. What about (laughs) Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobs or Joe Mixon for you right now? Is that pretty close? It's pretty close, and and honestly, I'll I'll lean Mixon there because I think the receiving floor is definitively higher, and I I like the offensive chemistry. I think that they're going to be a faster offense than the Raiders. Um, I I just think that the Raiders have shown us what they think of Jacobs, and whether it's they just don't want to run him into the ground for 300-plus touches, uh, I think is more about what they're telling us than I think that they just don't believe it as a pass game option. I don't really think that's their concern. I really think it's, okay, we invested a first-round pick in this guy. How do we give him a breather of sorts instead of just pummeling him into the ground? So I, it's not that I don't like Jacobs. I really do. But I, I think the receiving floor is definitively higher, and I really like the offensive situation for the Bengals a lot, lot more than the Raiders. And that's a good point. Like, I don't think the re-signing of Jalen Richard is necessarily that they think that Jacob or Jacobs is incapable of contributing in the passing game. And I think he will. It's just going to be on first and second down. But you got to give these running backs a breather sometimes, man. It's why Jonathan Taylor wasn't the third down back at Wisconsin last year. I mean, you can't give the guy 500 touches in a season. You've got to, like, take the guy off the field for a rest now and again. So... Um, yeah, maybe Pat. Pat, no, we're supposed to fade them if they're if they're not all playing <laughs> Christian McCaffrey esque level snaps. I mean, and they're not unleashed. Aren't we supposed to fade them? I mean, exactly, man. There's only that's one. one of the biggest narratives that's out there right now that I think is just kind of crazy though too. Because I mean, how many committees are we staring at, and how many running backs are really not in some form, even if it's a seventy thirty committee? I think that that's kind of funny when I see that and they're like, okay, well, you just got to fade Jacobs altogether because he's not going to be unleashed. And I'm like, okay. And that that is kind of a theme on this podcast, that chasing the three down back is just sort of a unicorn that you're never going to be happy with. And if you can't see the value in guys like, uh, I don't know, Jordan Howard, even though he's you know never going to be a, an elite pass catcher, but hey, you need the running back twos, the running back threes. And, you know, sometimes you might have to settle for a guy who's not a Saquon Barkley or 
Christian McCaffrey. They don't grow on trees, alas. So uh, if Mixon does hold out, Debro, which of the other Cincinnati running backs becomes the draft value for you? Is it Gio Bernard, Travion Williams, Rodney Anderson? I, I'll probably in best balls mix my exposure um, amongst the three because they're all going, nobody's going like super high. I mean, Gio, even him, he's going in, in the 21st round. So it, the guy, if, if I have to plant my flag for one guy, it's going to be Rodney Anderson. And I know Twitter doesn't want to hear that. And I know he hasn't done anything. <laughs> and I know that he's got injury issues abound. I, I get it. He's a guy that I, I, I'm not willing to absolutely just grab the shovel and bury my truther status on just yet. I I still believe in the talent. I understand that injuries are a big factor with him, but the talent is still there. I, he's a guy that I think that if you're looking at anybody in this backfield that can be a three-down workhorse guy, given health, and I know it's a huge if, but the talent and the skill set, the size, athleticism, that, and I know he didn't test because, again, he had an injury. So part of this is me playing the idea of like watching game films. So I know that's it's a dangerous uh, thing to do. But Rodney Anderson is probably the guy I'm going to plant my flag with on this one. I love hearing that, and that's the second time he's been touted here in recent weeks on this show about uh, uh, just. What he did briefly in the preseason last year was just one of the things that just sort of stood out to me in the 2019 preseason watching Rodney Anderson and say, holy hell, this guy is something. And yeah, unfortunately, the injuries are a haunting thing. But if he ever does get that window of opportunity with a mix and holdout, maybe, you know, Geo gets hurt too. It's it's going to take some combination of things but i do feel like if he ever got his chance that he would be the type of guy you would feel pretty good about rolling out in your starting lineup in fantasy so he's one to keep an eye on he's not going to be draftable in the typical redraft league uh he's barely rosterable in large dynasty leagues right now we just had a 12 team 28 man startup and i can't recall if Rodney Anderson got drafted. I don't think he did. But man, yeah. I did one earlier in the offseason and he went, I think I took him, oh, it was in the mid 20s, mid to late 20s, uh, as far as the rounds where you can get him. And he's sitting on waiver wires in probably pretty much every dynasty league, unless you have that one guy like me who's got truther status and has got him sitting somewhere at the end of a bench. Um, you could probably find him pretty much anywhere. And uh, in best ball, I mean, he's the. He's the guy that it's either him or probably like somebody like Ty Montgomery that I'm walking out with my, as my last pick in a lot of different drafts. Yeah, he was a guy in in that startup. If there would have been 29 rounds, he would have been my last guy. I remember debating him in the very last round and, and going with someone else. But um, yeah, an exciting talent to be sure. Uh, Debro, let me ask you about something that Pat Thorman tweeted recently. Uh, for those who might not be familiar with Thorman, He's a fantasy analyst for Establish the Run. Super nice guy. He had a tweet over the weekend where he said, imagine not drafting a wide receiver in the fourth round. And in the tweet, Pat showed us the fourth round of a best ball draft he was doing. The wide receivers taken in that round were Adam Thielen, Calvin Ridley, A.J. Brown, Allen Robinson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Odell Beckham, and D.J. Moore. 
And the running backs taken in that round were Cam Akers, David Montgomery, Raheem Mostert, Devin Singletary, and Chris Carson. So first of all, let me ask you this. And I do kind of want to drill down on some of the guys he talked about in that round. But do you think Thorman is right generally about the fourth round looking like a wide receiver round? I do because, and and that's one of the biggest reasons why I, it's it's going to be really hard for me not to go running back, running back in a lot of different drafts uh, and redraft purposes this year. And if, if especially if you're in leagues where you're you're not if you're in your home leagues and competition's not quite as razor sharp. Uh, there is a really great argument to be had about going RB in your first three rounds. And the reason is, is because you can get these guys in the fourth round, the Adam Thielen, the Calvin Ridleys of the world that I just love, and DJ Moore. Like, I am perfectly happy, Pat, with walking into the season as one of these fourth round guys as my wide receiver one coming out of a draft like that, like especially in PPR formats. Yes, I think Thorman is absolutely right. I think it's a wide receiver round, and it's one of the biggest reasons why I'm perfectly comfortable, at least as of right now, and unless we get a lot of injuries changing the complexion and changing ADPs, I think that it's going to be really hard for me not to, to smash RB in the first two, possibly even three rounds right now. Yeah, um, it, it to me it is not so much discounting the viability of a zero R uh, a zero RB approach. I mean, I think that could still be done, but the value just does not seem to be quite the same when you turn things upside down a little bit with the way you approach it. If you go wide receiver, wide receiver early, okay, you can get two of those uh, wide receiver ones. I guess that's a plus. Um, but it's just the third round almost seems like, well, I don't know the second round, I I guess what I'm trying to say when you have a hard time identifying who the back end wide receiver ones and the wide receiver twos are, uh, it, it kind of kills the incentive to go after those guys instead of a second running back. You know, we we run out of wide receiver ones, clear-cut wide receiver ones, pretty fast. There may be, you know, 10 of them if you're pushing it. Uh, not too many clear-cut wide receiver twos. In fact, you know, th- that's kind of what that entire tier is all about, I guess, that fourth round. And if you can load yourself up at running back and still be assured of getting one of those wide receiver twos in the second round and or, or in the fourth round, and, and some of these guys, like, I don't know. Uh, Calvin Ridley, I mean, does he even have wide receiver one upside, D-Bro? I think he does. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I'm fully on the train of of he's this year's Chris Godwin. I think that if he'd have played 16 games last year, this wouldn't even be a question. I think that he would have gone above 1,000 yards. I think he'd had 10-plus touchdowns. I don't think that we we would even be having the conversation of it because he had done it last year. Um, So... I, that's why I, I'm comfortable with it. Um, but the other thing about it, uh, we've talked like if you've been on Twitter and and the talk of like what alpha wide receivers and thirty percent target shares, these third and fourth rounds of wide receivers, there are a lot. Like you can have you can cherry pick your guys that are going to have what twenty five percent target shares, and whether you're playing in two wide receiver, three wide receiver formats. 
you've got two guys that are going to be definitive starters every single week, and you're really trying to, what, fill a flex spot or, or, or what have you. And I'm fine doing that with wide receivers. Like, I'll embrace volatility at that position. Um, I have a harder time, like you're saying, like flipping this on its head and being like, okay, who are the running backs in third and fourth rounds where I'm like, yes, I need them on my team. And there's just not a ton of guys. Like, there are a few. There are a few that I'm willing to pound the table for, but that list is quite, quite shorter than the wide receiver room. Yeah. Um, so one of those guys, uh, Cam Akers, I, I know you're on board with him. And now he's <laughs> probably not even a guy you have to push it with in the fourth round. I mean, he went in the fourth round of this draft, Thorman posted most drafts, I would say a fifth rounder. Do you think fifth round, are you comfortable taking Cam Akers in the fifth? I'd smash him all day. I would absolutely. I, I and that's the reason why I'll probably have a. Uh, I'll have Cam Akers on a lot of my teams this year. I think that he's gonna slip. I think that. I mean, right now in best ball, I think that he's such an easy pick to make right now. I mean, he's going off as RB twenty six, and a lot of people don't know what to do with this backfield. And I just, I don't. I'm not worried about Daryl Henderson. I'm just not I, like. And we're talking about committees and stuff like that. Yes, like, do I think that he plays a factor into this into this backfield? Sure, but I'm not worried about him commanding like this being a split backfield. Like, if you see a lot of people's projections, I'm just on the other side of the fence with it, and I'm really comfortable taking Acres. I feel like he is an amazing value right now because we've seen what this backfield. What, what kind of equity this backfield holds. I mean, and this is not even a Todd Gurley type thing. Like Todd Gurley stacked all of his value was all of it in touchdowns last year. I mean, it wasn't so much even in volume. The guy got what, like 220-ish carries? It's all in touchdowns, and this is still a good offense this year. And so if I think that there's a guy to be had, like I think we're getting acres in best ball and in a lot of like redraft formats, people are going to be scared because of like I don't know what to do with this backfield. And in that case, like yes, I will absolutely grab all the acres that I can because I, I I've got conviction. I think that he is going to be the guy. I think that the upside is there for him to just smash and grab this year. I think that he is going to be a top twenty running back, and you are going to not have to draft him there in so many different places this year. Yeah, he's a high-quality prospect for sure. Looks like uh, has the build of a prototype workhorse running back, although you know we just talked about the, the fallacy of chasing the three-down back. But he does have uh, run-catch versatility, um, played behind a terrible line at Florida State, which might uh, be experience that comes in handy running behind the Rams' offensive line. That's kind of a drawback for me, Deeper. I'm not going to lie about that. The other thing I'm having a little bit of trouble with, like I'm not, I don't know what happened with Daryl Henderson last year. Like I just can't explain that. I It seemed like he didn't get the run early. They felt more comfortable with Malcolm Brown. And then after the initial Todd Gurley injury concerns last season, all of a sudden they were like, oh, he's, he's good to go. He's our full-time guy again. So, um, and it was just kind of a lost year for Henderson, but I don't, feel like we can totally write him off and that he was a pretty quality prospect last year. So I am a little worried about that and the fact that Malcolm Brown is still around. And, uh, you know, 
to a lesser degree that on paper their schedule of opposing run defenses looks somewhat tough. Um, you know, I know strength of schedule thing is sort of a an ever-shifting thing, and I don't really do a lot of long-range planning based on that, but it is worth noting the Rams kind of have, uh, you know, a, a difficult-looking slate of run defenses this year. So I do like Akers. I, I think I'm more... I'd be more on board if he was going in the sixth round, and I just don't think he's going to last that long in most drafts, unfortunately. So I'm probably going to be a little uh, underweight on him this year, unfortunately. But I, I do see your point. Um, I'll happily own it, Pat. Like I, I'm passing out the Kool-Aid. Anybody that wants to drink, follow me on Twitter, because I, I will not shy away from the fact that, yes, I, I'm passing out the punch. It, it, it's happening. Um, but it just, it's a guy that I'm going to plant my flag with and I'm going to be comfortable with it this year. Um, you know, we all have those guys and and I, 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 I see the points that you're saying though. Like, and yes, um, I, I do agree with you that, um, I think quarantine has made us, uh, extremely, at least Twitter has been extremely strong in strength of schedule this year. And I'm like, Oh, that's, guys, <laughs> that is a quarantine girls, consequence. People, no everybody listen. It's June, man. Like, <laughs> are, we, are we talking about, like, we don't even know what these defenses are going to look like. We talk about a defensive volatility, and we're out here like, all right, people got tough run defenses. Pack them in, or they got good schedules. I'm like, I don't even know if we really know what these defenses are going to look like right now. Like, to even say I all get this, it. People got to put out fantasy content, D-Bro, but yeah. And, and I do. I get it. I'm not trying to crap on it, but, like, I, I, I'm just – it's. It's strong I'm with right you, now. Man. Like it's the a, strength of schedule crew is I'm strong. with you. It's a, a COVID consequence, and that we are, you know, caught up in over over analysis here on some of that stuff. Um, I will say this about Acres, though. I mean, someone on Twitter today, I think it was Dan Claskins of uh, SiriusXM, posted a highlight reel of Acres, and he is so smooth catching the ball. And if McVeigh does use him the way he used Todd Gurley in the passing game a couple of years ago. I mean, that is where you could really see the uh, extreme liftoff and where, you know, a fifth round price tag looks just like the deal of the century. Yeah. And, and I will say as well that um, last year was an outlier in a lot of different aspects for what McVeigh has done in his offenses, just in general. I mean, if you look back, over the last few years, I mean, we're talking about pass game usage. I mean, it, they were 32nd in target share to the running back position last year. I mean, it, 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 they were at 10%, Pat. If you even look back in previous years, even when he was with the Redskins, he was between 15 and 19% target share to the running backs. So, I, like you're talking about, I do think that we see the running backs more involved in this passing game this year. So, yeah, I'm with you there. All right, T-Bro, in less than three weeks, the Scott Fishbowl drafts are going to be underway. Let's talk about F- SFB for a minute. Uh, as usual, SFB participants had the option of requesting a divisional assignment this year. Uh, and the theme is toys, so all the divisions are named for toys. There was also a new twist this year where participants were given the option of requesting a specific draft slot. Now, You aren't necessarily guaranteed a draft slot if you request one, but at least you have a chance to get the slot you ask for. So tell me, did you request a division and or a draft slot this year? I did request a division just because I'm, uh, there are, uh, (laughs) 
I, I love the theme this year. I mean, I say that every single year, but I love the theme this year because there's so many like 1980s toys that I grew up with that I'm uber obsessed with, even into adulthood. So um, I, I'm totally fine, and 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 if I don't get them, I might cry uh, for a second, just a momentary second, but. I I really want or hope at least to end up in either the Transformers division or Voltron. It's two of the things that I just grew up from a very young age. Super nerdy, loved it. I, I've got actually a few uh, Funkos of of said uh, cartoons. Um, so that's where I put uh, my chips in as far as uh, divisional preferences. But I mean, heck, man. Playing in Scott Fishbowl is a joy. I really Scott could put me in in the Pogo division, and I don't really care when it really comes down to it because it's an amazing event. Um, I didn't request any draft slot preference. I know win rates are really high for upper end, and I know there are certain people that are like, okay, I'm going to go be in whatever division and and try to get high draft slots. I mean, honestly, it's all fun. Um, I embrace this as what it is as a great thing um, for that Scott does every single year. So um, I don't care if I draft at the turn. I don't care if I'm at the seventh spot. It does not matter. Um, I'm probably just going to toss ADP to the wind and go get my guys um, regardless at all. So it doesn't matter where I'm drafting personally. I'm with you, man. I like to leave it to the fates, not only for draft position, but also for just division. You know, I, I like to, kind of randomly go where I go. And, uh, you know, two years ago I was in with, uh, Scott fish himself in a division. And, um, you know, it's just kind of fun to be randomly paired up with this group of other people. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a blast. How did, how did you do last year? Do bro? <laughs> last year I got skunked. It was bad. Uh, I knew at the gate that I was not going to have a good year. I think, I had Cam Newton, Mitch Trubisky, and Andrew Luck, so oh, it was rough. <laughs> in a, in a super um, flex, I think that's I went, rough, like, man. It was it was so bad, Pat. Um, uh, so I mean, I had some other good picks. I had Chris Godwin, and um, I went I went early on David Montgomery, of course, and I'm I, I still like him this year, but um. The year before that was a good year. I think I, I made the playoffs. I think I went like nine and three, eight and four, something like that. So hopefully it's a bounce back year. I mean, I'm hoping to to have a good year this year. How, how'd you do last year? I think we have the same pattern going. Uh, the year before I was, uh, <laughs> so I was, I hadn't missed. I think I was three for three in Scott Fishball playoff appearances before last year in the uh, 2018. I made the semis, so I was playing up until the second to last week, and then you know, disastrous week in the semis. Um, and then last year, uh, let's see, I, I think I had Melvin Gordon as my later first round pick, like two days before he announced his holdouts, and uh, you know, some other things went wrong. I just kind of didn't really grasp the strategy. Uh, I just didn't have a good game plan going in. I think I finished like 921st in total points last year and uh, nowhere, nowhere close to a playoff berth. So I'm out for revenge this year. Um, Yeah, but looking forward to it. And, you know, the charitable aspect of it, it's just so much fun and, uh, you know, playing for pride and uh, playing for charity. It's a great cause. Debro, let's talk about Terry McLaurin. 
since our admiration for this player seems to be mutual. Uh, it just feels like McLaurin is a must-have this year in the same way that Lamar Jackson and Austin Eckler were must-haves last year, doesn't it? Absolutely. I love Terry McLaurin. I, I just I don't really don't know how anybody can watch him play last year and then look at this offense moving forward and not just have absolute aberration for him this year. I mean, right now... He's being drafted in the sixth round, and again, we're talking about draft strategies. It's another reason why I'm willing to lean into running backs early because the path is there for McLaurin to just eat this year, and we saw how efficient he was last year, and even with Haskins under center, it's touchdown variance. It's the only thing that skewed the end of his season. Past that, I think he'd be going higher in drafts than he is currently, And there's an easy, easy path for this guy to get 130-plus targets this year and not even bat an eye. And I I like Steven Sims. Not saying I don't like him. But if we're looking at what this offense could look like under Scott Turner, McLaurin is a guy that has shown that he can win slot. He can win outside. He can win versus zone, man, press. Like, he's got the overall skill set. He's got 4-3 speed. Really, there. I'm like, I'm I'm running out of things not to like when I look at Terry McLaurin in for this season. And like you're talking about, is he a must draft guy? And am I gonna be like seriously overweight in probably every format? Absolutely, because I just think that there is a there's an easy path to volume. And even when he got the volume last year, there was nobody around him that was pulling targets away, pulling defensive attention away. And we still saw what he did. So if he's walking into it in his second year, last year, like, I think that we could be looking at last year as as the, the, the floor or the median range of outcomes for what he could do versus this year. And this was in a rookie year where he goes, and I don't even have these numbers in front of me, but I think I know him. It was 58, 9, 17, 7. And that was missing two games with a hamstring injury that presumably bothered him in other games. I mean and I don't want to be the film grinder here, but he just looked so phenomenal last year. Um, just such a, a an impact player, so smooth in his routes and his ability to get open, catch the ball in stride and do real damage after the catch. Uh, and such a clear pathway to targets too. Uh, as you said, you know, Steven Sims Jr., yeah, an undrafted guy. I mean, I talked about him last year or last week with Ray. We both like him a lot. Uh, Ray Garvin, last week's guest. We touted Sims, but um, you know, there's nothing at tight end there. They don't have an apparent pass catching running back that I'm aware of. Uh, you know, Kelvin Harmon, maybe the other decent wide receiver here. There's not a oh, uh, Gandy Golden too. I forgot about him. I guess, but. Wide open path to, as you said, 130 or more targets. A, a Julio Jones-esque workload is is there for the taking. And uh, I think it's just that the ADP is sort of being tamped down by a lack of respect for Dwayne Haskins. And Haskins wasn't awful last year. He was awful in his first couple games, of course, making his NFL debut. But uh, by the end of the season, he was playing reasonably well. So I don't know. I... I understand the reluctance to go all in on a guy who's playing with, you know, what's probably a a bottom third, bottom quarter quarterback situation in the league. But man, I mean, 
Look at what McLaurin did with a bad quarterback situation last year. The guy's really good. Uh, at his current price, he just feels like a steal. Totally with you on that. Pat, even to your point, the other side, when McLaurin was smashing throughout like the be- beginning and middle of the season, I, can we also give some credence that Case Keenum is not a world beater? Like That guy is not amazing. So really, if we're looking at the bar of what Terry McLaurin needs as far as quarterback play to see what we saw at the beginning of last year, to revisit that in 2020, so what, Haskins has to be league average? Maybe a little bit above it, below it, wherever you want to draw that line. Is that really that hard for Haskins to hit this year, for McLaurin to hit his ceiling? I don't think it is. Yeah, I don't think he even has to be good. I mean, I yeah, I think he agreed. has to be capable of throwing a spiral for Terry McLaurin to have a <laughs> for him to return a profit on a sixth round price tag. So, Debro, it seems like Christian McCaffrey is the unanimous pick 101 this year. But then I discover that it's not unanimous at all. You have said that Saquon Barkley (laughs) is your 101, so you'd really take Saquon over CMC. um, Yes. Um, If if put to to it. Am I outing you here on this uh, Saquon tag? <laughs> a little bit, and, and and I know people have have hit up my mentions, and they're like, "Really, or really, really?" And, and look, it, this is not taking anything away from Christian McCaffrey. If anything, this is leaning into variance because repeating as the RB one in fantasy is incredibly hard to do. I mean, we haven't seen that since two thousand two and two thousand three with Priest Holmes. Barkley has already. He's already logged an RB1 overall season. So can he do that again? Yes. So part of this is me leaning, leaning into variance as to say it is an extreme outlier to watch a running back reproduce a top one, like overall sitting atop on the throne of the running back position. So I really like what Barkley has going for him this year. We saw his upside. We've seen it before, obviously, in a full season. But we saw it last year down the stretch when he was really presumably finally fully healthy. And in this offense, I know a lot has been made. Judge wants to run the ball. Jason Garrett has had successful rushing offenses, and people can talk about the Cowboys just road grader offensive line. and That's fine. But since 2014, Jason Garrett's offense has been top 10 in rush yards every single year, four or six years, top seven in rushing TDs. And even if we want to go harken all the way back to when he was an offensive coordinator, he has fielded efficient rushing offenses. They were top 10 in yards per attempt in two of his three seasons as an OC. So part of this is leaning into variance, believing that massive volume both in the run and pass games can be there, as well as I think that this offense really can be better than what people believe it can. And so, like, I think the touchdown equity is probably a little bit better than what some people are putting it for Saquon Barkley because this offense is just ripe with talent. I mean, you've got – it depends on what you're talking about. I mean – Golden Tate, Barkley, Shepard, Slayton, who I'm hugely in love with, Evan Ingram. I mean, it's just oozing with talent at all different spots of skill positions. 
So I really think that this offense could surprise some people this year, this team overall, honestly. And so, yeah, I, you are outing me, Pat, but I'm, I'm willing to sit here and fall on the sword. I, I'm willing to stick to it. I'm going to stick to my guns. And, and right now, Saquon Barkley is my 101. Well, I totally get it. I mean, for me, it's just, you know, McCaffrey. It's easy enough to duplicate last year's result on, uh, you know, two spectacular guys. And obviously, I don't think Saquon slipped past number two for too many people. Um, but, you know, Saquon was just a... a uh, I don't want to say generational, but uh, pretty <laughs> rare running back prospect. And, uh, you know, to consider him at 101 to me does not seem all that absurd, especially with the points you're making about the Giants offense. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be worse than the Panthers offense. Maybe it could be better. I mean, maybe Daniel Jones is better than Teddy. So um, I, I don't think it's crazy. Yeah, I've got CMC higher, uh, but you know maybe this should be more of a conversation than it has been. Let's talk about another running back for a second, Kenyon Drake. I'm sort of cautiously optimistic about Drake after what we saw from him in Arizona after the trade last year, but he just went 108 in a best ball draft I'm in, and that seems awfully rich to me. So let me ask you this, Debro. Are you optimistic about Drake too? And if so, what is the buying zone for you? Like at what point in a draft is it not too early to take Kenyon Drake? I, I, I'm comfortable. So like you're talking about like 108 is a little bit high for you. Like I'm comfortable pushing the button there. I think that really it, it's, it's at that point it's floor and ceiling and who presents a good mix of the two. And I think that Kenyon Drake, like we we're talking about earlier with Mixon, I think it's really kind of a tier for me. It's, it's, Sanders, Drake, Mixon-ish, unless I'm like willing to veer. Like if Devontae Adams falls to me there, that's fine. I think he's about the only wide receiver I'm going to take in the first round this year. But I'm really all in on Kenyon Drake. I mean, we saw the upside last year. He flashed it. I think this offense is going to run faster. We saw just a, a brief inkling of what Kingsbury wanted to do in weeks one through three, I mean, they were third in plays per game, and then they slowed way down the rest of the season. They were 24th after week four in plays per game, and they were also super unlucky in the red zone. I mean, despite finishing 14th in red zone attempts per game, they were 29th in touchdown percentage. So as high as uh, Kenyon Drake, after he went to the Arizona, was the RB4 in PPR. And as crazy as it sounds, that could be his ceiling could be higher than that. If they run faster, if they score more touchdowns, if this offense overall is more efficient, because last year it really wasn't. And so if Kingsbury is able to to run faster and the offensive play calling or the, the play around Kyler and Drake is better with DeAndre Hopkins there as a true alpha, and then you have these other wide receivers that can play other spots that they're probably more well-suited to, and they can run four wide more, I really think that there is still an upside and a ceiling to be had that we still haven't seen from the Cardinals offense. So yeah, I'm willing to buy into Drake at that point. I buy the notion of upside with the offense, and I buy that maybe we haven't seen the best of Drake for a full season, even though like he has not turned in a full kick-ass season yet uh, this many years in. I know we used to bitch about him not getting enough work at Miami. Uh, then he kind of 
did get the work to a, a small degree and wasn't quite what we'd hoped. Uh, I guess one of the things that bothers me about him, Debro, is I really like both of the running backs behind him, not just Chase Edmonds, but also Eno Benjamin. Like, I think he's one of the I, – I was shocked he went in the seventh round of this year's draft. So there are these two guys behind him. I'm just not entirely sure that, like, he can't get squeezed by one or two of the guys behind him. Um, but let me put you to the test here with the guys you mentioned earlier, <laughs> Kenyon Drake, Sanders, Mixon, Adams. Like, if, if that was the group that was on the table for you, who are you probably going for? Um, oh, mesh. Oh, um, all right. I'm probably, if I got to pick one guy out of all of them, it's, it's probably going to be Miles Sanders. Yeah. I'm, I'm there too, man. That's my choice out of that group also. Yeah. It, it's going to be Miles Sanders. I think that the ceiling for him is sky high. I, I, I don't, I don't care if they sign a running back. I think they're going to sign a running back. That does not matter to me at all. I think that Sanders ceiling is, is insanely high this year. Like he could be top three easily and not even bad an eye. If this offense is way better than what we're thinking and, and the Eagles aren't running out like backups, water boys, guys signed off the street and practice squad. So, um, Sanders is probably my pick. Um, after him, it's, it's, it's a toss up between Drake and Adams. And some of that comes down to maybe league format and, and, and just who I'm drafting around. Sure, that makes sense. And I, I, it also makes sense, I guess, to, you know, fade mix. And if he's on that tier and has this looming holdout threat, um, is Todd Gurley a fade for you this year? Yeah, Todd Gurley is a guy that I'm just, I, I don't want any part of this year. And, and I understand the argument to be made for him. Like, I get that they don't have anybody else behind, behind him on that depth chart. Like, I'm not an Edo Smith guy. I'm not a Brian Hill guy. And, and this offense would look totally different without him. So I understand that, yes, he's going to get volume and that there, nobody's going to question him for touches near the goal line. It really just comes down to Todd Gurley. I, I really think he's done, Pat. Like, if you look at all of his efficiency metrics, he just fell off a table and, and, I really think the narrative is getting lost or, or sideways here. A lot of people are talking about how bad the, the Rams offensive line is. And I don't think enough is being given to Todd Gurley is that he's just not the same guy. The Rams offensive line got him to the second level. They were 14th in the league last year. It, but when they got him there, five, 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, he didn't do anything. I mean, he's 27 to breakaway runs. He's 22nd in evaded tackles. I mean, the guy just was not creating or had the ability to create on his own. I mean, whether to, I mean, pick whatever efficiency metric you want to out of a hat, and he's not in the top 20 in any of them. Yeah. And so, at his cost, I think that there are enough people that are going to draft him way above where I'm ever comfortable. I mean, in best balls, he's going as like the RB 15 or 16 right now. And at that point, nah, I, I, I just, I can't pay it, Pat. I can't, I, I can't draft him there at all. I'm with you, man. The big plays disappeared last year. And I know people are arguing that he is the number one running back in what looks like an explosive offense and that he doesn't have any real competition for carries. Um, you know, personally, I like Edo Smith a little more than other people do, but 
you know, I'm, I'm not arguing that Edo Smith is going to beat out Todd Gurley as the, the number one guy on that team on the merits. Uh, but I, I'm kind of with you, man. I'm, I'm just worried that, you know, after we saw the explosive Todd Gurley, we just didn't see it last year. And I don't know if it's coming back after a, a year hiatus. Um, one other guy, this guy is an interesting case. I have to ask you about him. Uh, I, I know you're pro Cooper Cup. Help sell me on him after the late season fade he had last year and with the likelihood of more 12 personnel for the Rams this year. So that's really what it comes down to me, or at least it's part of it. I'm not really buying into the whole more 12 personnel as much as as being broadcasted out there. I, I really think that we really get the clearest picture into what a team believes or thinks at least about their roster and about the upcoming season based off of what they do in free agency in the draft. And we saw this team didn't have a first round pick and their two seconds. I want to say it was just two seconds. They, they addressed skill positions. They took acres and van Jefferson and everybody's like, why didn't they take offensive line? And I really, really think this comes down to, what McVeigh and the Rams want to get back to doing. And I really think it's more running more 11 this year. I think that having another guy on the outside that gives them the ability to have cup in the slot gives them that ability. And I don't think that there's a lot of faith in that, that room. And this is a lot of me taking leaps of faith and reading tea leaves here. I get that, but taking Van Jefferson in the second, a lot of people are like, okay, well, that's because Cup is going to be a free agent and things of that nature. And then they've talked about he's he's the perfect mashup of Woods and Cup as far as skill set. I really think it comes down to he also offers them the ability to play out the slot, possibly out wide. I think that Cooper Cup is a guy that's being undersold on his ability to separate and his skills as an outside wide receiver. I mean, just looking back when he's been targeted there in 2017, 2019, I mean, his QBR has been above 102 in every single outside position he's played. His catch rates were 59 and 75%. So I think part of it is, uh, even if we want to buy into them going a lot of 12, I think that Cooper Cup as an outside wide receiver is being a little bit undersold. And I'm on the other side of the coin on what I think that this offense can be for this year, because we've seen Cup ceiling. He showed it to us last year. I mean, Beginning of the year, weeks one through eight, he was the wide receiver two. He was behind only Thomas. So we've seen the ceiling, and we're getting him at as a wide receiver two price. I'm really in on the Rams offense this year, all different parts. Like, it, it, it's Cup, it's Woods, it's Goff, like, Acres, Like, so it, it, I really, I think that it, it, it at certain points of the offseason, we hear a lot of different things and we try to like figure out what the offense looks like for the year ahead of us. And I'm just on the other side of the coin with this. I think that's the biggest point for me. Yeah. You make a, a good point. Uh, hell of a sales pitch actually, brother. Um, <laughs> the, the upside we saw, it's pretty silly. I mean, we saw it last year early. We saw it the year before, uh, you know, when Cooper cup is clicking in that offense, uh, you know, a guy who can drop, 100 yards and a touchdown almost uh, on average for a, a fairly decent stretch of time. So, yeah, um, I, I see it, uh, you know, a little concerning the late season fade last year, but, you know, it is also dropping the price a little bit. So, 
Let's talk about something you tweeted recently. You listed some running backs you love at their later round ADPs and best ball drafts. Um, you know, we can just go over each guy briefly. Two of them are rookies, uh, Darrington Evans of the Titans and Josh Kelly of the Chargers. The other is a second year guy who basically redshirted as a rookie, Damian Harris of the Patriots. Uh, so let's hit them one at a time. Darrington Evans. <laughs> Anybody that has been in on Twitter, I love, I love Darrington Evans. I love him as a talent. And if you're going to go zero RB, he is the target, the target. He's so cheap. The Titans, ball, man. He's so cheap. Oh gosh. <laughs> the, the 10th, 11th round is where a lot of these handcuffed guys like your Chase Edmonds, uh, Tony Pollard's of the world go. And Darrington Evans has that that's in his wheelhouse. Like he needs to be in that same tier as these other guys. And all the guys we're going to mention here need to be, or could get to that 10th, 11th round ADP. And they're just not there. And they're all one injury away from being the guy possibly in their offense. And who tell me this, Pat, who is going to compete with Darrington Evans and his third round draft uh, capital for touches, if anything happens to Derrick Henry, can we can we throw out any names of who is going to compete no, with this that's, guy? That's it. I mean, it's it's Evans. He's he's the number two, clearly. Absolutely, man, and that's why I'm I'm all in on him. It's not just a talent thing; it's the fact that nobody else is going to even sniff touches in that backfield besides him. And it's not crazy that he has some standalone value as the third down back. I guess. All right, uh, Josh Kelly. I love Kelly, and a lot of it is not so much like people are like, okay, well, you must hate Austin Eckler. No, I, that, that, that's not it at all. It, it, you look at this offense last year, and after Melvin Gordon came back, and I'm not saying that Kelly is going to be Gordon. That's not the case. But Austin Eckler's inside the five roll dried up like a prune. Like after Gordon came back, I mean, out of his seven touches inside the five, he only saw two after Gordon came back. So... I really think that there is a path to Josh Kelly being the other running mate with Austin Eckler this year. I think that Justin Jackson is the direct backup to Eckler and his role. I mean, we look at Justin Jackson, and I love his talent as much as the next guy. I really, really do. I like him as a player, but he's sub 200 pounds. He's not a guy that I think the Chargers have shown us that they're willing to sit here and feed a ton of volume to. So if I'm looking for the other guy and and what it projects to be a run-heavy offense, I think that Kelly could get more of these money touches, especially around the goal line, and have standalone value. And right now, he's dipped from the 16th to the 19th round. I mean, he is free in best ball. And as a guy that I think has standalone value just to begin with, much less a ceiling that's not even being baked into his price, yeah, I'm going to have heavy exposure to Josh Kelly this year. I'm with you. I've, I've taken him in a few best balls myself. Uh, Damian Harris. So the Sony news in his foot came out, and Damian's got a little bit of a rocket um, up his butt right now. He's gone from the 19th to the 15th round, and I hate it. Because, <laughs> like, something pro Sony come out, please. Please let something come out. Like, I'm willing to sit here and take him still in the 15th of where he's going right now, but... The 19th where he was going previously was so nice. I think that the Patriots are a mixed bag on offense. They could be really run heavy. A lot of this comes down to, 
I, like Todd Gurley, I think that Sony could be dust this year. I think his knees could just be like, he literally could be on his last leg this year. And at some point the injuries are going to pile up and they're going to be insurmountable. And I'm more willing to be a year early than a year late. So Damian Harris, I really think, and I'm also going to mix in some exposure as last pick Rex Burkhead here because they're just, they're so cheap. And like what we say year after year, it's get the cheapest running back for the Patriots. And right now, whether you're going to go Damian Harris or you're going to go Rex Burkhead, you could talk me into both right now, considering where they're going. Yeah. um, And Damian Harris, I mean, he, it was just amazing how he was being disregarded after the, the red shirt freshman year at the red shirt first year in the NFL. Um, but, you know, a guy who, given his pedigree, that this was a guy sharing carries with Josh Jacobs and Najee Harris. I mean, there is potential there. I mean, we saw it at Alabama. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on those three. Debro, should we like Drew Locke in redraft the, this year with all the pass catching talent around him? I mean, how do you feel about that situation where you've got Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and... Uh, I mean, do we expect the pass catchers there, Noah Fant, KJ Hamler, to elevate Drew Locke? I think that Drew Locke is in he's, – he's got no excuses this year. If he doesn't do it this year and he doesn't put up good stats, it's not going to be because the Broncos have not served this up to him on a silver platter. I mean, it's – the, the talent around him, much like Daniel Jones, like we were talking about earlier, it, it's just the whole entire depth chart is just oozing with talent. You have Fant, Albert O, you have Judy, Sutton, KJ Hamler, even if we want to go down the Deshaun Hamilton road again. I, really, I mean, like he has no excuses to not put it up this year. And people are talking about, like, oh, are they going to give him a volume? And I'm like, have you seen what Pat Shermer has done when he's been an offensive coordinator or head coach? He feeds volume to the passing offense. I mean, seven of his 11 years as an OC or head coach, they've been top 12 in passing attempts. It's a long enough stretch that we could say that they are going to throw the ball as well as you factor in their off-season moves. And we're talking about reading the tea leaves again, adding Judy on top of everything they already have and KJ Hamler says, we want to throw the ball. So, yes, I'm in on lock. Really, it comes down to what is his draft cost? Like, where is he going to go in drafts uh, the closer we get to the season? Because the hype bell is ringing, and it's loud right now. And so if he inches up closer, if he stays in the middle or late rounds, especially in redraft, yes, I'll have a good bit of Drew Locke this year. If he inches up to that low-end QB1, then I'm probably out on him. Um, Although I do see a path considering, um, depending on how well he plays, that I think the volume here is being a little bit undersold. Yeah, I think he's going to probably stay pretty cheap. You know, they're still Mm going to be the skeptics with the young quarterback who didn't exactly have a ton of draft capital behind him. Um, How do you feel about Sutton and Judy at their current prices? I like Sutton, especially if you go RB heavy. Like, I mean, he's going in the fifth round. Again, That that he's another reason why I'm fine uh, going RB heavy early because I think Sutton is the guy that's going to lead this team in targets. I don't think that there's much debate in, in my mind about that. I think it's going to be a little bit closer than people think as far as between him and Jerry Judy because 
Judy is is he can get open at will, and if they run him more from the slot than we're thinking, then I think that he's going to be very productive. He's going to have his weeks. Um, I'm fine with either of them, considering that Judy himself is going as the wide receiver 38 in best balls, and and that's really about where I think he should be going because if we're looking at Drew Locke's talent, uh, do I think that Drew Locke can support two top 24 wide receivers? No. Do I think that he's good enough or the volume is going to lend itself that he can support two top 36 wide receivers? Yes. So considering where both of them are going in drafts, I'll, I'll have a good bit of both. Now, you said something on Twitter not long ago that was sort of interesting. There's been a lot of admiration for, for Preston Wilson from a lot of the fantasy touts lately. <laughs> uh, I'm a fan myself, but you said that maybe we should be a little more wary of all the Preston Williams hype, and maybe we should start hyping Mike Gesicki instead. So talk me through this. Uh, is this mostly about Gesicki being underestimated in your eyes? I, I, I'm i probably drunk on Mike Gesicki right now. I, I, I love the skill set. I love I love what his role is going to be in this, uh, in this offense because the Dolphins showed us that they are totally fine handing the keys like if Tua plays at all this year even if he doesn't they are totally fine walking into this season as building in the trenches and fine with the pass catchers they have and a lot of people are like okay well that means that it's great thing for Preston Williams and I'm like so we're just going to totally discount the fact that he's got an ACL we're going to totally discount the fact that he was not hyper efficient last year he was not even hyper efficient in college we're going to totally discount the fact that Preston Williams is a UDFA and this is not so much me hating on Preston Williams as I think that Mike Gusecki's path to just immense volume in this offense and the way that Chan Gailey has both used the talent that's been given to him and run his offenses in the past is being undersold here for Mike Gusecki. Mike Gusecki is a slot wide receiver in tight ends clothing. He is probably, and I know this is going to sound a little bit hyperbolic, he's probably about the closest thing as far as skill set wise and usage and slot usage to Jimmy Graham as we're, we're really looking at walking into this year. Because last year, the guy was out of the slot 69% of the time. And to give that some context, even these high-end receiving tight ends don't see that type of slot usage. Like, that does not happen, Pat. Like, even your Travis Kelseys, your your Andrews, your Zach Ertz of the world are usually roughly in the 50% margin. So, Mike Gusecki, I look at him as a wide receiver, first and foremost. Like, just the fact that he has tight end eligibility is just wheels up for me. And... If we're looking back to what Gailey's offenses have looked, even in the the recent past, Eric Decker just ate out of the slot in this offense. Oh yes, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point to bring up. I I, I real I want all the Mike Kosecki I could possibly get this year. And Preston Williams, people are like, okay, well, could he? He played out of the slot five percent last year, five percent. So unless we're just looking at like they're going to just transform Preston Williams into a slot player when this coaching staff, not with Chan Gailey, mind you, but with their head coach, showed us last year they know who Mike Gusecki is. Mike Gusecki is a wide receiver. He's not a tight end. And he is an elite 
wide receiver in terms of athleticism. So I'm, I'm going to bet on the talent. I'm going to bet on the athleticism and I'm going to bet on the usage and what we've seen out of this offense in previous stops for Chan Gailey. So yes, I will be pushing the button on Mike Gusecki. I think that he could easily be this year's Darren Waller. And, and I don't think that that is a hot take at all. I mean, I'm glad you brought up the athleticism. People really kind of dangerously overrated him his freshman year just because, or uh, sorry, his, his rookie year, <laughs> because he was so, uh, like, just he broke the combine. And at, at his size and uh, with his speed, he's such a tough cover. You know, and of course, rookie tight ends don't produce, but, you know, we started to see it last year when he was getting consistently six, seven targets. And if the Dolphins do sort of uh, red shirt to it to some degree and let Fitzpatrick with the aggressive uh, passing attack that Fitzpatrick is going to run there, maybe there's room for both Gasicki and Preston Williams. Um, you know, and I, I, like I, I don't think Preston Williams should have gone undrafted. And I think we saw enough from him to, to prove that he shouldn't have gone undrafted. Uh, I agree. Maybe people aren't worried enough about a, a mid-season ACL injury. Um, but yeah, maybe there's room for both of these guys to eat. Uh, before we wrap this up, Debro, and I do appreciate you going into overtime with me tonight, let's talk about one more tight end. Uh, this one is far more obscure than even Gesicki. And uh, as a fantasy prospect, kind of an under-the-radar guy who's probably going to be left undrafted in a lot of leagues. But why do you think we should be paying attention to Josh Oliver of the Jaguars? I think that we should pay attention to him because I think Jay Gruden is going to pay attention to him. I think that Gruden at every stop, whether you're talking about Cincinnati, whether you're talking about with the Redskins, he's shown us that he's willing to utilize the tight end position. And a lot of this is whether you talk about it. And some of that, you know, I'm not that big on kind of like the, the, the years past of, well, Shanahan's never used a tight end, so fade George Kittle. That's not so much what I'm buying into this, but I think Josh Oliver has the skill set and athleticism to be a guy that, like with Jay Gruden, has featured athletic tight ends like a Josh Oliver who has an 87 percentile speed score. And we saw last year, even in just the brief, brief time that Oliver was on the field, in two of the three games, he ran 20 or more routes in every single game. And I understand that they, they signed Tyler Eifert, but behind DJ Chark, this is a wide open depth chart as far as where can targets go and how it's going to function. And both what we've seen out of Jay Gruden in previous stops the athleticism that Josh Oliver presents, the fact that Tyler Eifert is not going to be a full-time player, because last year, even though he stayed healthy for the entire season, kudos to him, and I, I'm not hating on Eifert at all, but he only had four games where he, ran, he played 55% or more snaps and ran 20 or more routes. So he's going to be a red zone weapon for Minshew and this offense. He's not going to be a full-time player, and I think that Josh Oliver could be the full-time tight end I think that he could take a massive leap this year, and especially what they're going to ask for him to do. There's a lot of different ways where if you slice this, Josh Oliver could be the second uh, option in the passing offense. And I'm not fading LaVisca Chenault. I'm not fading Chris Conley in, in that aspect. But I, I think that people are sleeping on Josh Oliver's talent. 
believe Derek Brown on this one, people. This is a sleeper special extraordinaire. And, uh, you know, I know you don't want to say anything bad about Tyler Eifert, but I will. He's a corpse at this point <laughs> of his career, basically. <laughs> so I'm totally buying your uh, Josh Oliver sales pitch, D-Bro. So, uh, well, man, this has been great. I always have so much fun talking to you. And uh, you were out here pumping fastballs today, brother. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me, Pat. This was a blast, man. I, we got to do this more often. Um, I really appreciate you having me back. Uh, yeah, we always have a good time. We break up in the beer and just sit here, and, and I feel like we could talk for three hours straight because both of us get very effusive and we love our guys. Uh, so thank you for having me. A blast as always. You will definitely be invited back soon, my man. Uh, before you go, tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah, uh, you can check me out on Twitter at dbro underscore ffb. Uh, I'm still playing the the free agency game of sorts. Um, hit the notifications and follow me on Twitter. Um, possibly some announcements in the near future coming up, man. I, I can't say anything yet, but uh, some things and some stuff. Yeah, I suspect free agency is not going to last long. Uh <laughs> Ebro, thanks again, man. We'll talk to you soon. And that is a wrap for this week. My thanks once again to our guest, Derek Brown. Find him on Twitter at Debro underscore FFB. I also have to thank the person most responsible for keeping this rickety ship afloat, my helmsman and producer, the trusty Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. A special thank you to my colleague, Melissa Jacobs, the proprietor of thefootballgirl.com. Find Melissa on Twitter at thefootballgirl. And of course, my sincere thanks to you, dear listener. It's an honor and a privilege to have your patronage, and I really do appreciate the hour of your time that you've just given me. I hope it's been worth your while. All right, that's it for now, but I will be back again next week with another great guest. Until then, be well. Take good care of all the people around you. So long, everyone. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.